have a Bible, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 13 with me. Last weekend, if you were with us, you may recall that we left our team, our missions team, which was Barnabas and Paul and a young man named John Mark. They're on their way on this two-year missionary journey, bringing the gospel to places that have never seen or heard about Jesus. AD 45, 46, 47 is what we're talking about. First century, it starts in the Isle of Cyprus as the team makes their way through. And then now, today, they're making their way up into southern Turkey. So the strategy, as we said, was for the company to begin their outreach at the local synagogues of each of these towns. And what we said was, this was pretty strategic on the part of Paul, because every Saturday, the the, the, the local synagogue would gather for Sabbath services. And part of the order of service was the rabbi who was in charge would ask in the audience if there was any learned uh, visiting rabbis in the audience to come and share the scriptures and to unpack what the scripture of the day was in their order of service. And so Paul is qualified for this task and he would often come forward in these contexts and talk about the Old Testament passage and then link that to Jesus. And that's how the gospel was proclaimed in these places. And we're gonna see exactly that happen. Let's go to verse 13 and read some of this in our text today. So it says this, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. So this is going from Cyprus uh, on a boat up north into southern Turkey. And here it says, John left them, John Mark, and returned to Jerusalem. So this is kind of a big thing that author Luke just bounces off. We're going to look at this in more detail in a few weeks. It's actually a really interesting sub, subtext in, in this narrative. So let's just put a placeholder in that. Verse 14, but then they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidian. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to Paul and Barnabas saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, I mean, he's taking, he's taking the position of a preacher, uh, the posture of a preacher, and he begins, Paul does, to preach his very first sermon that's recorded in the Bible. This is not his first Christian sermon, but it's just the first one that we have and, and so we're going to look at this. So now the first thing you need to know about this sermon is that it's, um, when we read it, it, it can be a little bit hard for us to follow. And that, the reason is because the audience is very different than our usual sort of sermons that we have. It's all Jewish. This is a totally Jewish audience. And so this sermon, although it's Christian in its content, it's very Jewish in its format. And so it was delivered in a way that would land with this particular group of people hearing it. And, and, it, and you can break it up into three parts. It's on your handouts if you, if you got one of those when you came in. The first section, the first point, you could call it the Messiah anticipated. So let me read a little bit of that. Verse 16, here we go again. Men of Israel, this is Paul now preaching, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. 
And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So Paul is referring to the conquering of the promised land when it was like uh, the, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Hittites, the, the Pepsilites, the Cellulites, all those people that were conquered. All this took about 450 years. And after that, God gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And so the the, the, the history lesson, the summary goes on for a few more verses. So Paul, again, preaching to an entirely Jewish audience, and so he's summarizing big swaths of Israelite history according to the scripture, and he's looking at it in, with the lens of anticipating the Messiah. The Messiah was promised of God, uh, this, this redeemer that the Lord would eventually send. And so he's, he's recapitulating that in order to set up the real kind of the punchline of the sermon, which we're about to hit. So, so this again would have really landed with his audience. There would have been a lot of nods, you know, from the congregation, maybe even some, some amens. Uh, which a couple of you do once in a while. Uh, nobody does that at the 8 a.m., though. And back then, I'm sure they didn't at their 8 a.m. either because people were just waking up. And, uh, and so this was, again, um, classic Jewish thinking. Scholars actually look at this stuff and detail it. They got a name for this. So this is a bit of a nerd alert. If you're a Bible nerd, then you know this points for you. Uh, you can fill this in. Paul is using a method of teaching familiar to his audience. We call this Jewish historical retrospection. That's, that's your fill-in. I know that's a mouthful. Jewish historical retrospection. Now, historical retrospectives is a method of teaching that looks at history and looks at eras of, of the past and, and, and it reflects on these former events in order to help a person understand how they got to where they are today. You know, sometimes it's like, well, I don't know, we ask this, don't we, in, in modern times, especially in political formats. It's like, man, how did we get into this mess that we're in? And then if you really seriously want to answer that, you've got to look back in, get a better understanding of what took place prior. That's a historical retrospective. And when it comes to Jewish thinking, the question is, what has God been up to with us to get us to where we are right now? And this is, there's a great deal of this that Jewish people do. And that's because they have a long history, a ton of material where the Lord has been operating with them and has been working with them. And so the Bible writers of the Old Testament, they, they do this a lot. There's a lot of re retrospective material in the Old Testament where God's historical faithfulness will be in view, where Israel's disobedience will be in purview, as well as looking at the God's covenant, his established relationship. And this is super important to, to understand the current dynamics of what's going on. Many of the Psalms uh, in our Old Testaments are historical retrospectives. I've actually included some examples on your handout. You can nerd out a little bit later on this example from, from that batch of of texts on your handout, Psalm 105. Psalm 105 covers history from Abraham to the conquering of the promised land with specifically the motifs of God's faithfulness in mind, his promises, he's, he's keeping those promises, 
He's talking about uh, liberating the Israelites from tyranny. This is a motif in the historical analysis of, of the scriptures. And the psalmist is saying in that text, look at what God has done, how he has rescued you, how he has liberated you, and give thanks, and be grateful, and praise him, and, and offer uh, sacrifice of praise to God for his works. Uh, so that's, that's an example. Another example we've already covered I told you this was nerdy, by the way. I told you this is nerdy. You're going to get a little bit of nerd stuff, a geek stuff in these sermons from time to time. And for those of you who don't like that, just hang on. There'll be a joke pretty soon. Okay. So the, the, there's another sermon in the book of Acts that contains Jewish historical retrospection. We've already looked at it. It goes into Acts chapter 7. Remember, there was a man named Stephen from that part of the book of Acts, Stephen was the first martyr. Do you remember him? And as he's being put on trial, it's kind of a kangaroo court, he's, he's giving a speech. He's giving a sermon to his, his accusers, and he's doing a ton of Jewish historical retrospection in, in his defense and he's doing so, again, very similarly. He's talking about history, biblical history, and then it's a lead-in to Jesus. And once Stephen starts preaching Jesus, that's what gets him killed. That's why he's martyred, because the folks that listening to that, they didn't like that at all. So this is a beautiful history as it leads up to Jesus. And remember, at Stephen's death, who was there? Who was at Stephen's martyrdom. Do you remember? Yes, Saul. Saul, a.k.a. Paul, the guy teaching this. I wonder if that made a huge impression. Now, Saul at that point was not a Christian. He was very much a Pharisee. He was for the stoning of Stephen. He helped kind of, he helped it along, right? Uh, but I wonder if Stephen's sermon made such an impression on him that it provided a model for his own teaching when it would be his turn like we're seeing now. So, so, Paul's, so Paul's first point is he's talking to the Jewish audience, look at our history in light of the anticipated Messiah. That's the first point. The second point now, he says, essentially, and also, guys, the Messiah arrived. The Lord sent him in the form of Jesus, and here's the ministry that he did, here's how we treated him, here's what happened. So let's pick up that section of the sermon in verse 28. Paul says, drop down to the, verse 28 with me. Everybody got that? Here's what he says. And though, Paul says, they found in Jesus no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, verse 30, and for many days Jesus appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Those people are now his witnesses to the people. So Paul says, okay, remember that Messiah that we anticipated for centuries? He showed up. God sent his redeemer to us. His name was Jesus, and he did ministry until he was killed. We killed him he was executed on a tree, on a cross. He was put in a tomb. But then verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. So Paul is preaching the resurrection. 
Paul is preaching the resurrection just like we today, 2,000 years later, we preach the resurrection. This is part of the gospel. It's the central dynamic, the jet fuel of the gospel, the empty tomb. We can go to Jerusalem and we can find out where he was buried and we can go visit this grave and guess what? It's empty, right? And it's not because someone stole the body. It's not was because he was half dead and he kind of woke up in a swoon and he woke, none of that. He was dead, dead, and, but God raised him from the dead. The Messiah, God did this miracle. And Paul says, we are eyewitnesses of this. We were hanging around when this happened and now we're here in Antioch of Pisidia telling you what we witnessed. Paul says, this is good news. And the synagogue, everyone is literally on the edge of their seats. Um, they're just completely locked in, which is what you guys were, 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 are like when, when I teach sometimes. And so very similar. No one's laughing. Boy, you're a tough audience today. <laughs> Jesus lived this perfect life, right? And then he died an atoning death and then was resurrected. And Paul says, you know how we know that Jesus was the Messiah? It's because it's the guy who raises from the dead who gets the A+. That's how we know. And there, and there was just like, woof. I mean, everybody was just like, whoa. Oh my goodness. Wow. History is culminating in the Messiah Jesus. And, 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 and this is like, you could just feel it in the synagogue that day. Now to drive it home, the third section of the sermon, it's a great outline of a sermon. It's the call to respond. It's here's, here's what we waited for. Here's what Jesus did and what happened. And now here's the response. Like in light of this, he says, look at verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, and it's brothers and sisters, that through this man... Jesus, check this out, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. And by him, everyone, how many people? Everyone, not just for some, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So Paul's like, all you've got to do, your response is not try harder in the law, the law that you can't keep anyway, the law that it's impossible by human effort to fully adopt. Not that, not try harder, not do more, but simply believe in him and you will receive forgiveness of sins. This was liberating. You can have freedom. The law will not bring you freedom, Paul says. The law can only give you a knowledge or an awareness of your sin. The law is like a mirror. The law is like a mirror. It shows you who you really are, but it has no power to change who you really are. And so the law can only take you so far. It can give you awareness of sinfulness, awareness of the need to be set free, but the power to do so, the law does not have. It's much like your bathroom mirror. 
It's much like the mirror in your bathroom when you woke up this morning and when you wake up every morning, you stumble in and you turn on the light and if you're like me, you're just a little bit startled by what you see. It's like, it's that bad. Like, what happened? What happened last night in my sleep? And, and, and I don't know if, if you've ever been in like a hotel. Uh, sometimes we stay at this one hotel and there is a magnifying mirror in, on the sink have you ever heard this? I guess, I guess this is like a beauty thing. And you, and you look at them as if the regular mirror weren't bad. This one, it's like a magnifying glass and you look at the mirror and it's like, for me, it's like, man, all the pock marks. It's like looking at the surface of the moon. It's like, it's just, a, it's a sad, you just shove that thing away. I mean, every flaw, every like, and, 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 and yet, you, you kind of want to know, right? You kind of want to know reality because it's better to know than not know. But where's the power to fix that, that face? Where's the power? The law is just like that. It shows you reality. And yet, that's it. It stops. And then Jesus comes along after the law has given us an awareness of our sinfulness. And the power of the gospel is the power to transform. It's the power to give new life. It's the power to take our, our, our inabilities and our inadequacies and our, and our, we always fall short, shortness. And then Jesus makes up for that. And this is what Paul is preaching to the audience that day. He's preaching exactly what we preach. He's preaching the gospel. It's a comforting thing to know that the first recorded sermon from Paul about 2,000 years ago, almost exactly, is the same message of Christianity that we're preaching today. That the same truth, the same beauty of the gospel is still in effect. It's still as powerful. It's still as, as efficacious as it was in the very first years when the church was birthed. The sermon was epic for people people. They were on the edge of their seats. They were thrilled. In fact, after the sermon is over, Paul and Barnabas are hanging out in the plaza and all the people swamp them. And they're like, would you come back next week? Would you keep preaching this message? They're so hungry for the truth that Christ brings to their life. So that's what happens. Luke goes on to say that Paul and Barnabas come back the next Saturday and the, the, the synagogue was packed, man. Everybody was there that day. The, the folks that were there the first week had brought their friends. And man, there was, there, was, there was even some Gentiles hanging around on the side that were curious about the message that weren't even really supposed to be there. I mean, this place, the house was bumping. The house was bumping and thumping. I mean, the bass was kicking during worship. And then Paul's preaching his heart out. And again, the church is like on the edge. You're just like, oh my goodness, this is so good. But you know what happens? The rabbis that run this place, they look at this and they look around and they're like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble. If we don't put a stop to this, then we're out of a job. And we're out of a job and this isn't gonna be good. And so it's right here that the opposition begins to kick in and kick in hard. And they begin to trash Paul and Barnabas. They begin to incite others to then cast aspersions on their character in the town. 
and they stir up persecution, they stir up trouble to the point where Paul and Barnabas have to basically run out of this district. They're, they're done, they're done. But before they leave, it says there were, what are the results of all of this? There were some who accepted Jesus. There were some who accepted Jesus and there were some who rejected Jesus. And this is a beautiful picture again of reality is not everybody became a Christian, even by the preaching of Paul the apostle. Some accepted Christ, some rejected. And those who accepted Jesus, it says at the very last, look at verse 52. What does verse 52 say? This is the very last verse in this chapter. It says, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were rejoicing about the gospel. Those that received forgiveness and new life and redemption and a fresh start, those that received the love and grace of Jesus, those that needed a new beginning, those that fell short and knew they would always fall short by their human efforts and instead Christ came along and he made up the gap and he filled it in with his own life. Those that knew that their own good works could never curry enough favor up into the eyes of a perfect and holy God. Those that understood this, the fundamentals of the gospel, embraced the message and received the grace of Jesus and were filled by the power of the Spirit, they rejoiced. They were, they were filled with joy. And I love this because for those of us who are Christians, and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and you've been walking with the Lord, when we visit this text, it reminds us of our own, our own gift that we've been given in Jesus. It's a fresh, a fresh pass over the gospel. And, and it should stir in us it should stir in us, even if we're going through some tough stuff, it should stir in us a sense of our own joy for what Christ has accomplished. And I hope that that is happening for you. And now, for others who are here today, and you're like, I don't, I'm not a Christian, I haven't accepted Jesus. For, for those of you in that situation, it's an opportunity for you to say yes to Christ. And so today, if you would like to become a Christian, this is really the next step for you. It's simply believe. It says, to everyone who believed, they were freed from everything. And so all it is is faith in Christ. It's trusting in him and him alone. You're no longer trusting in your own self or, or wherever it is that we put our trust. We put our trust in a lot of things. And it's taking that trust that we put elsewhere and putting it squarely on the shoulders of the perfect lamb of God, the resurrected son. And that's what saves us. That's what gives us the free gift of, of grace. And you can do that today. So how we express that today is, is, is super simple. You can pull out the little connect card that's in the seat back in front of you, and you can fill out your name, and you can just put a B in, in the comments. B for believe. You can just put B for believe. I'm believing today. And then our team is going to contact you and say, hey, we heard that you, know, you accepted Jesus. Congratulations. We're not going to bother you. We're not going to spam you. But we are going to, um, to talk to you about next steps of what your faith is from this point. And so let us know, because we want to help you walk out your newfound relationship with Christ. So this is what happened. Some accepted, some rejected. Those who followed Jesus rejoiced. And this is the sermon today. And our response is very similar. 
Some will accept, some may not. Maybe you're not ready. Keep coming. We hope you will be later. But today, if you are, you can take that next step of faith. And what we're going to do is have a time of prayer. I'm just going to pray a quick prayer over us right now. We're going to have another song of worship. And then Jay, Pastor Jay, is going to give us all one more step of action that we can take. So, so if you're prone to leave right after I teach and not hear the last sermon, well, the sermon ain't over yet. So you're going to have to wait till the end. And we're doing that for you so that you will stick around. Uh, and then if you do have to go, please don't feel guilty or whatever. So, uh, uh, but if you don't have to go, stick around and you'll get one action item. Uh, so let's pray, shall we? Let's pray together. So Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for the good news. We thank you that the apostle Paul showed us just a simple format. It was a, it was a, a different time, Lord. It was a different place, a different culture. And yet the core elements of this sermon apply to us. And we look back in our own history and we see how you've, you've been carrying us along. And we see that the Messiah, Jesus, has offered us a path and offered us a path forward spiritually that we can be right with you. And this is good news. And Lord, so give us the faith, we pray, to believe. For those who have already believed, I pray that you would give us a fresh, uh, a, a, a fresh perspective so that we can rejoice in who you are to us, Lord. And for those who don't yet know you, I'm praying that you would give them the faith to take a, a, a step, a, a step in receiving you, Lord. So God, we just love you right now. And we, we just are so grateful to you for your grace in our life. And we just pray all of these things now in your beautiful name, Lord. And everybody said, amen. amen.